0: Good morning. A couple things I need to get out of the way Uh, immediately. One is I realize my shirt is wrinkled. Let's be very clear on that. And the reason why is I will notify housekeeping at Whispering Pines 102 the iron is broke. You see, most people are sitting here going, that's what happens when they travel without their wives. You understand? Everyone's looking and going, oh, no, no, no. I'm the ironer guy in our house, and the iron was broke. I need to place the blame on someone else, amen? Amen. Secondly, uh, I will be launching my Moses series right now. There's going to be a six-part series. I'm doing part one with you, right? And I need to highlight that one of the main bad guys in all the story of Moses is a guy named Dathan. Anyway, what's that? Yeah, my dad was a pastor and they wanted D's, so my middle name is Daniel. Oh, don't try to rescue it with Daniel. Stop. Your first name's Dathan. Right? Come on, you're a bad guy. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. All right. Uh, I'm gonna kick off the series, the series in the life of Moses, and I kid you not, in parts one through six, we're gonna go through five books of the Bible. We're gonna go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the other one. All right, praise God. Now. In this series, I entitled it, An Average Ordinary Spiritual Giant, An Average Ordinary Spiritual Giant, that's Moses, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about him, I'm going to kick it off, give you kind of the start, and then if that's interesting to you, we're going to be meeting tonight at the other chapel, and you can kind of follow along with me. If you have other stuff that you got to do this week, uh, I'm so sorry, hopefully they'll record it, I have no idea. You may just be out and sad. I have no idea. Anyway, that was my motivational speech. All right. I love Hume Lake. Uh, I've been sending uh, our kids there from our church. I'm from Bridgeway, and we're always week five week five, so two weeks ago, and, and my kids have always been here. My oldest daughter, Jill, if you guys know Jill, she uh, worked here one whole uh, summer during COVID, and she's been here. This is her 11th year and servant, and so our whole family is just in love with this place. There's something beautiful about the anointing here, and I believe that it's because the ground has been saturated with prayer. Over and over and over, 75 years of baking in prayer has got to make a difference in the atmosphere. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that there is an anointing on the mountain, and it it is not because the trees are special. It's because the God is special. You understand what I mean? There's something beautiful and rich, and as the students come up on the mountain, they have an encounter with God. And then as they come back down, they try to seek, well, how do I get that back? Well, understand that very same God who is up here on the mountain is the one that would love to travel with them back home, yeah? And so obviously this whole week as we kick off another week of kids coming in and being ready to get fired up, this is their time with Jesus, and it's powerful. So I'm so thankful to be here. All right, now, the morning I want to talk about the idea about Moses being an agent of a miraculous birth of a movement. A miraculous birth of a movement and how I believe that he's doing the exact same thing with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Moses' life and then tie it in to what I think he is doing with you. Now, don't get me wrong, Moses is relatively unique, right? I mean, by the time that God was done with Moses, he was a prophet, priest, lawgiver, prayer warrior, judge, intercessor, leader, shepherd, miracle worker, and founder of a nation. Now, that's not everybody's calling, right? As a matter of fact, I think this is fascinating. You know how the Bible always has everybody have the same name, right? Everybody's named Mary. That drives me crazy in the New Testament, right? Everybody's named John or everybody's named the same thing. No one in the Bible is named Moses. It's interesting. It's just one guy. As a matter of fact, he's a huge deal. He likely authored the majority of the first five books of the Bible. The Old Testament mentions him 767 times by name. That's crazy. Nobody gets that kind of play. In the New Testament, he's mentioned 79 times. Jews revere him, Christians revere him, Muslims revere him. This guy is a big deal, but let's be real clear. Moses was a human being. This is very, very important for us to remember, right? We always have this idea of always oh, one of the greatest leaders in all of history. God built him. He didn't come out that way. God built him. He was one of the most reluctant leaders in all of Scripture. And as a matter of fact, he lived a powerful but very painful existence. I don't recall very many times it talks about Moses being happy. And I wonder whether or not he knew that sometimes a call of God means that it's more about God than it's about the person, and that there's going to be pain along the way. I wonder if that's what he was thinking when he was like, no, I'm good, right? Painful existence. But at the end of the day, he was who God wanted him to be. And isn't that our greatest desire? It should be. At the end of our lives, don't we want to be able to say that we did what God wanted and became who He designed us to be? You could have no greater life than doing what God asked, right? I mean, I know we have all these great ideas, right? But God knows. So how do we live a life that God can use? How can we be in the very center of what God is doing in our generation? How can we be a part of God's movement for now? How can we align our lives with God so that his power and purpose flow through us? It begins with a willing and faithful heart. We've got to burn in this mantra of not my will but thy will be done. That's how it begins. Not my will, but thy will be done. God wants to do something. He wants to use you. He wants to use the people around you. So are you ready to be part of a miraculous movement? God's favorite way to build his kingdom is through his kids, through his people. It's always his plan, his idea, his power, his purpose, his will, but it may flow through you. Are you ready for something like that? This generation needs a fresh move of God. Amen? Will he look at you? Will he see a willing heart, an obedient heart? Will he see unity, partnership, not division that he can flow into? Will he see people of faith? As we look at the story of Moses, I'm going to give you some clues, and I'm going to begin by giving you six things that God used to build him into the man he needed to be. But it might be that some of those six things are the very things that he's working with you to make you the point person for now. We begin with number one. Moses was a promised child. Moses was a promised child. Now, here's what's ironic. It was not really based on Moses. We always want to believe that when baby Moses came out, God was like, finally, right? Man, I've been waiting for a kid to use. All these other kids are useless. I finally got a good one. Look at his hair. Right? Stuff like that. That's not how it was. As a matter of fact... Moses was born into an ongoing story, the book of Exodus, right, that we're like, oh my gosh, that's the big Moses book. The book of Exodus begins way back in history, about 1500 B.C. No mention of Moses at all. It talks about Joseph. It talks about a guy who God used to save his people 430 years earlier, right? I mean, it's a long time. They were there, a bad king arose, he started beating them, made them slaves. And then they cried out and cried out and nothing happened. Decade after decade, crying out, no response. At least that's what they thought. That's how the whole story begins. But in Exodus 2.25, and if you're an underliner, you may want to underline this one in your Bible. Unless you're borrowing it from someone else, then underline it in pen. (laughs) God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, i got to clarify something. The Hebrew language has idioms or figures of speech just like every other language. And we read stuff like that and we're like, oh, God saw it. Almost like he was busy and he was like, how long has this been going on? And then it says God knew, as if suddenly it dawns on him, wow, my people are getting trashed. But that is not what it means. What it means is, is there's a difference between God being aware and God doing something about it. God is always aware. When the Bible says that he saw something, when the Bible says that he knew something, it means for the purpose of action now. God always knows. Why is that so important? Because we tend to believe a very pagan religious concept, and that is that we need to get God's attention. You'll find out if you believe that by looking at your prayer life, yes? If you are begging God to pay attention to you, your theology is off. Anybody remember the whole story between Elijah uh, on Mount Carmel, you guys remember this, and the prophets of Baal and everything? Do you remember how they acted very differently? The prophets of Baal looked like they were wounded and cutting themselves. See, most religions of the world believe that their gods are self-interested, that their gods are far and removed, that their gods aren't interested in them, and they have to beg to get their attention. But that's not how Elijah acted. He actually walked into it and said, God, this was your idea in the first place. Show him you're real. Wham! Lightning comes screaming out of the sky. You don't have to beg your God's attention. He's more interested in it than you are. The only reason you know what to pray for is he told you. We walk in, it's like, God, but this is super serious. He's like, I know, that's why I told you about it, right? Let that purify your prayer life. But here's what's interesting. Moses was a part of God's plan. Never mix that up. You and I may be gifted, talented, anointed, strong, brilliant, but it's not about us, it never will be. It's always been about God. This universe, this reality, it all centers around one. And his name is Yahweh. That's how it works. The story of Moses is God saving his people because he promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob way before Moses was even around. You see, God was always going to raise up a deliverer. And here's what's interesting. The people cried out and nothing happened. Oh, wait, but did it? Forty years before they saw an answer, they were crying out and a little baby was born and nobody knew about it. Why is that so important? Because God was working upstream way ahead of time. They were praying and going, we're abandoned. No, you're not. They were praying, oh, we were forgotten. No, you're not. Oh, we were praying and God doesn't care. That is incorrect. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate your theology. Either he knows or he doesn't, either he's good or he's not. Let's be real clear. Just because you can't see what he's doing doesn't mean he's not doing it. This is so important because this is where it's about to get real personal. What are you crying out to God for today? And I'm not talking about your normal prayer stuff, which is, God, make my life easier, give me more stuff right? Make that cute guy like me, stuff like that, right? I'm talking about when you sleep, what is your soul still interceding for? I'm talking about what's the stuff that crushed you. There's a lot of prayers you pray. You're not quite sure if it's God's will, but this one you know was evil, hurting good, and it wrecked you, and you're saying, God, Please make it right. What's that? For you, because it's going to be different for all of us, right? What is that that you're crying out for? Here's my word for you. God is working on it while you pray. The Hebrews prayed for 50 years, saw nothing, and God was working the entire time. Jesus told this in Luke 18. He said, guys, here's how I want you to pray. There was a woman, and she didn't have justice The whole system was against her. So she goes after this judge, and the judge is like, I don't care about you. I don't care about your God. And she kept after him and after him and after him. I want justice. I want justice. Finally, he said, woman, you are killing me. Like, I don't care about you, but just to get you off my back, I'll do it. Jesus said, pray like that. What a weird response. You're like, but if you knew it was that important, Why wouldn't you just do it? Why does it have to take so long? Isn't that most of our question? God, if you knew it was evil, why didn't you fix it? Why am I still crying about it? All right, I want you to think about this. One of our greatest struggles with God is that we can always imagine a better, easier, or smoother way for God to do stuff. Isn't that correct? Like, he goes through these really long channels. You're like, dude, you could have just went right here. It's so easy. And we grow disappointed, discouraged, disenchanted because he doesn't take our advice. God, I swear I have the answer. You don't have to go check it. I got it. Right? Just listen to me. But don't you suppose that if it was really the way that you thought in your head that God would do it that way? Of course. Of course but he knows what we don't know, right? Is that correct? He's good. He's He's excellent at fixing. He's excellent at restoring. Our solutions look like painting a new coat of paint on a house with a faulty foundation, right? God digs down, resettles the deeper issue so that the freedom he's bringing will last. In In other words, our way's faster, his way's better and until we bake into that we're going to be tempted to stop praying cuz we think it doesn't matter oh it matters god's doing the big stuff well he was a promised child you're a promised child you're like yeah i don't i'm not following you're the promised child this generation was always going to have a you how do i know that cuz you exist You wouldn't be here if you weren't necessary. You go, yeah, well, Moses was special. No, you're special. He was an average, ordinary, spiritual giant. How did he get there? God worked on him. Your presence here indicates your value, number two. Moses had prepared parents. Before Moses was born, right, the pharaoh of Egypt decreed that all baby Hebrew boys under two years should be killed. Do you guys remember this? Same thing happened with Jesus. Herod was freaking out, and so he wanted to kill all the baby boys. And sure enough, the enemy always wants to kill what God is trying to raise up. Have you ever been involved in ministry and felt resistance? Of course you did. Why in the world would a brilliant mind like Satan... Let it go and let you roll and pick up steam to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. There's going to be resistance. The resistance is sometimes an indicator you're on the right path, right? Does anybody wonder why I'm yelling? <laughs> I've been wondering that for like 15 minutes now. Moses' parents were Levites, a certain type of people. They believed God. They said that they had extraordinary faith. They believed that God could do something about their child despite the threat from the world. Real quick, show of hands how many of you are parents? Okay, good amount of you. Are you that type of parent? Our kids are consistently under attack and influence, and some people parent out of fear, some people parent out of ignorance. Will you parent out of faith? Big difference. The two greatest gifts that we can give our kids are, number one, a good Christian example, and number two, constant intercession. I always tell everybody about my girls. I love my girls. I only have girls. One's 21. One's 18. And we raised them by prayer. We prayed about everything. You want to know who the warrior was? That was my wife. As a matter of fact, My mom is my spiritual role model. My dad left when I was seven. I didn't have a dad in the house. I didn't have a dad that followed the Lord until much later in life. My mom was the one that interceded for me. And you go, oh, man, you know what? My life was terrible. Most biblical homes in the Bible are trash. The Bible is like days of our lives on crack. Everybody comes from a jacked-up home right? But it matters less where you come from and more where you're going. But we cannot ignore our environment. What makes plants and trees and flowers thrive? The condition of the soil, yes? Are you putting yourself in environments where you're being cultivated by the Holy Spirit? You can't fix all of your home life. You can't fix all of your roommate situation. You can't fix everything else. But what you can do is purposefully and intentionally make sure that you're in healthy environments. Are you in God's house consistently? Do you have Christian friends? Are you being inputted into? Are you inputting into others? This is what we must do. Number three, he had protective partners Protective partners. Moses shouldn't have made it off the birthing table. Everything was against him. But there were key people in his life that protected him when he was most vulnerable. And it happened to be all women. Once again, why didn't he get slaughtered according to the law of Pharaoh? It was because two midwives put their neck on the line and said, we're not killing the baby boys. They couldn't have just lost their job. They could have lost their lives. But they were willing to stand in the gap for him. They chose life. Then his mom, his mom saw something different about her baby boy Moses, right? She hid him as long as she could. Eventually, she came up with a plan. I'm going to put him in a basket and put him in the river. And then, of course, it was his older sister, Miriam. She was the one that was steering him down the river, which, by the way, as an older sister, there's no way she let him ever forget that. Dude, I should have tipped you over, bro. Just one little, nobody would have known, oh, hippopotamus, right? And then she steers him into Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, mom, I found something. What is it, honey? It's a baby. Oh, another one? Do you have one of those? I don't know. What's that one like? I don't know. He's cute. Well, maybe. Can I keep him? (laughs) Yeah. And she puts herself on the line. Woman after woman after woman after woman defended him, defended him, defended him, and kept him safe. Mom and Miriam put their neck out, get him to be nursed by the mom, and they do all this crazy stuff. You go, what has that got to do with me? This. Who's defending you when you're vulnerable? In my life, I've been now the pastor for 25 years, The only reason I'm still in ministry is the intercession of the saints and the grace of God. You guys, I am so good at blowing up my ministry. (laughs) I have the ability to screw everything up. I have so many flaws and issues and problems. I am not in ministry because I'm good at it. I am in ministry because people protect me. I have an intercessor team that prays for me every day of the week and they alternate out. And they're fasting and praying for me seven days a week. That's why I'm in prayer. I'm still in ministry. Who's defending you? Well, I'm not worth that. I'm not doing anything significant. Incorrect. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? That means you're a point person for God. If you're a point person for God, you need defense. You maybe even have one other partner. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Get defense. Moses was raised with the best education, the best training, he was safe in the palace, and everything was going fine until, here we go, number four, write this down, painful process. Painful processes. The best leaders walk with a limp. Why? Because they finally realized they're not God, right? The best leaders walk with a limb. God has taught them they're human. They don't get to play God. They've seen pain. They've seen loss. They don't take things for granted. While God is building great Christians, suffering, pain, and loss tend to be part of the process. And so sure enough, here's Moses. He's now 40 years old. He's been in the palace this entire time getting everything awesome. I don't think his Hebrew heritage was a secret. I think that at some point he started to put two and two together, and then ultimately he had a decision to make. Do I look out for myself or do I look out for others? And you have to do the exact same thing. Either your world's going to be all about you. Hey, how do I make the most of me? How do I make the most of my gifts? Hey, how do I become the most popular? How do I become the most influential? How do I become the most whatever? Whatever. Either your life's going to be about you and that the the gifts God's given you are going to be used for you, or they're going to be used for other people. You got to make that call. He made that call. And he knew that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. See, the Egyptians trained him up, and he was super sharp and super intelligent, and he realized, wait, if the Hebrews are oppressed right now, it's going to come after me. When there's an oppressor, they're going to keep oppressing until eventually it's going to swallow you up. He said, I got to do something about that. But he could have remained snuggled in his personal blessing while other people suffered, and he wouldn't do it. Paul the Apostle, you know the story of the book of Philemon. You guys know that one? Paul the Apostle puts his reputation, his money, and his influence on the line to rescue a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. He didn't have to, but he did. Why? Because he knew that was not okay with God. Are you going to put your stuff on the line for somebody else? Or is that your insulator, your blankie, your protection? Here's what's interesting. After hearing about the stories of the midwives defending him and his mom putting her neck on the line and Miriam putting herself on the line and Pharaoh's daughter putting herself on the line, he was baked to be a defender. So what happens? He goes out walking one day, and he sees what? He sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, and he was like, oh, that's not happening on my watch, goes in, his anger is a little bit crazy flames out, kills the guy, hides the body. And then, the next day, he's like, hey, you guys shouldn't argue. And they're like, oh, you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Well, who in the world told him that? The guy he probably rescued. But here's what's intriguing about this. You look and you go, man, Moses is a stud. He went out there and he put his life on the line. No. Here's what you just saw. You saw the flash of a monster. Why? Moses had been 40 years as an Egyptian. Everyone knew he was in the palace. He had the cool eyeliner, <laughs> mascara, right? He had the cool little skirt thingy. And he comes walking out there, he's ripped, he's tan, he's but he has the mark of the palace on him. Are you telling me that a taskmaster, a low-level taskmaster is going to fight against a palace official? Nope. He took advantage of his status. He killed the man. He didn't need to kill the man, but he did so. And in that moment, God went, that's a problem. Look what you're doing, dude. I didn't ask you to kill that guy. But he went off on his own, and that was the problem. It was all about his plan. He was going to save his people killing one Egyptian at a time. That's a stupid plan. It's going to take forever, man. God had a better plan, but he wasn't interested in God's plan yet. He was interested in his plan. But here's what's intriguing. Who's the one that outed him? God did. And he gets chased out of Egypt because Pharaoh finds out about it and he's no longer welcome at his home. You go, man, that's so mean of God. Hold on. Anybody ever read the book by Gene Edwards, The Tale of Three Kings? Anybody read that? It's a leadership book. And the three kings are Saul, David, and Absalom. And here's the point of the book. Spoiler. David had to serve under a psycho king Saul so it would burn the Saul out of him. Because he was going to be in power. Sometimes you're under bad leadership to learn what you ought not to be. Yeah? Oh, my gosh, Lord, why do you have me under this boss? They're terrible. They're blah, 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 blah. You know why? So you'll never be that. Interesting. Interesting. So, sure enough, God says, I need you out. Moses flees east to Midian, and once a defender, always a defender, shows up at a well. Some ladies are getting hassled. What does he do? He's a defender guy. Can't waste a good mascara. He comes in, fights the bad guys, gets away. The girl's are like, oh, look at him. He's so cute. He marries one of them. Their dad's a priest, and he lives for 40 years as a shepherd. The Bible is very clear. Egyptians hate shepherds. They're considered the lowest quality. God takes him from the palace and shoves him into the lowest status. Why? Because Moses had to be built half in Egypt and half in the desert. He needed all the strategy and all the brilliance, but he needed the compassion. He needed to slow down. He needed to hear God. He needed to deal with frustrating things in order to lead for God. Here's what's interesting. He's probably thinking, wow, what a waste of time. I thought I was going to do something. I thought I was going to help the Hebrew people. Here I am. It's been 40 years. I'm doing nothing. 40 years of sitting around. 40 years of sheep. 40 years of forgetting he's an Egyptian. 40 years forgetting he's a Hebrew. He's been a Midianite for four decades. He's now 80 years old. He's thinking retirement. God's just getting started. Here's what's interesting. God doesn't waste any time. Oh, I was totally gonna be doing this. Do you guys know why I don't play music today? Because God pulled it out from under me. And I was so mad. I thought I was gonna be in music for the rest of my life. And God shut it down. I became an insurance agent. Not like a cool sell insurance and get money guy. It was a claims adjuster. I don't know about you, but nobody calls a claims adjuster unless their whole day is terrible. <laughs> is that correct? And I thought, Lord, so this is what I do now, yeah? I was, gonna, I was, out, I was preaching all across the United States. God, I'm your man. And He put me in an insurance company. But it was there that he fused into me what it meant to have people resist, hate, fight, struggle, resent. And I suddenly grew a backbone, and he said, now you can be a pastor. Weird. Number five, as we wrap up, prophetic training, excuse me, prophetic timing. Moses was always going to be a deliverer at 80. How do we know that? Because he lived to 120, and all of his life was split into 40-year increments. He's always like, ooh, this is magical timing. God's like, no, not really. (laughs) You just take 40 plus 40 plus 40. You were always going to go at 80. But Moses is ready to check out, and a bush lights on fire. God's in the bush. He's like, that's weird. And then, all of a sudden, the greatest resistance to a call of leadership ever. You guys remember this story? Moses, Moses. All right. Yeah, who are you? And he's like, okay, I want you to be my deliverer. Well, hold on a second. Who am I that you would use me? God goes, don't care. I'm here. He's like, yeah, but what's your name? He's like, fine. I am what I am. That's cool. Let's move on. Problem three. They're not going to believe you sent me. He's like, all right, I'll give you cool tricks. Number four, I can't speak very well. I'll speak for you. Number five, I don't want to go. Okay, fine. Aaron will go with you. Come on, dude. Here's what's interesting. The result was God was mad and Aaron was involved. We all want God's call in theory, but we don't like it in practice. God, I want to to influence the world for you. Okay, you're going to lose all your friends. You good? God, I want to be a powerhouse for you. I want to be anointed. I want to be amazing. I want to, okay, great. And you're going to do it all by yourself. You okay? The reason why God doesn't give you the plan ahead of time is you'd never do it. Right? So here's what's interesting. Number six, proper positioning. Why could God use Moses now because moses finally knew who god was and who he was himself and once you know who god is and who you are the lord can use you for anything how are we going to be used by god i don't know are you ready to say here i am send me See, here's what's fascinating to me. We look at this spiritual giant and we hear a story like this, and maybe you're brand new to Christianity. Maybe this is the first time that you've engaged with this. Let me give you a hint. His story and walk with God starts at 80. He didn't have his mom and dad in his house. He had them from one to three. He doesn't have any memory of that and he's been living with a Midianite priest for the last 40 years. The burning bush was the beginning of his journey with God. You can never have a call of God without a relationship with God. So here's what I'm gonna ask you. Have you ever had a relationship start with God? And you go, man, Dude, I've been in church for I didn't ask you how long you've been in church. I asked you whether or not you have a personal relationship with God. What well, would be embarrassing now if I was like, raise my hand or whatever, like I'm already in leadership, everybody... I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care what everybody else thinks. Moses was 80 years old, and then he had to raise his hand. So I'm going to ask you again can god use you because he knows you not does he know about you does he know you so i'm going to close in prayer and here's what we're going to do i'm going to pray that if any of you right here in this holy moment all distractions are gone if any of you feel right now the lord is tugging and he's saying hey kiddo We've done a lot of stuff together, but you've been pretty distant. If he's saying to you, hey, I know your grandkids already look up to you, but you and I aren't okay. Here's what I'm going to pray. I don't care if it's the first time. I don't care if it's the 30th time. You guys know how many times I've been saved? (laughs) Once, but I went forward 280 times. So here's what i want to pray. God, if we're apart, will you put us together? Is that okay? I'm going to close this out, and I'll hand back off to Moses' enemy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in this moment, there are some of us, the gap exists, that, Lord, all you've ever wanted was your heart and our heart fused. Whether we learned that we are your children or we learned that we're your bride or we learned that we're your servants, whatever it is right now, I just pray that that gap would close. I pray that right now in a moment where we own up that the gap is not your problem, it's our problem. It's our sin. And so, God, I just pray right now for Repentance allowing us to say, yes, God, whatever you want. I don't want me to be in the way anymore. I don't want to have my brokenness dictate our relationship. I pray right now, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me become something more than I am right now? Lord, I've been walking and doing things for you, but I haven't been walking with you. And I pray right now a restoration of that, a healing of that, a bonding of that, an initiation of that, an ignition of that. God, I just pray in this moment as my heart cries out, out to you. And I beg you, Lord, would you make me yours? Whatever it takes. God, I take all of my life and I hand it over to you. I don't care anymore. I don't know how I'm ever going to be anything more than I am right now, but you do. God, build me, make me, mold me, shape me. I surrender. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.